Hello, folks, and welcome to the TKW Podcast. I am Matt Spendley, and I'm joined tonight by Kyle Maggio. What's up, buddy? I don't know why you're so upset. Our boys won 94 to 72 earlier today. You see this? <laughs> yeah. The Army Knights had no chance against the Duke yeah. Blue Devils. Yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. I, I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, uh, real, real quick, because I do... I, this is a welcome uh, distraction. Zion fucking Williamson, man. What a game. He's and I told you, I told you this year, you, you uh, I told you last year I didn't watch a ton of college basketball outside of a couple select prospects, but I, you urged me to watch as much as I could this year, and I said to you that I would at least watch every Duke game. There you go. And, and I have. And oh my God. Is he just so much fun to watch? The... He's just so massive. There's just so much mass on him and how just well he can move on a basketball court and how quick and explosive he is when he jumps. And he just when you look at him, you don't expect it. Right. And he just he just out jumps. He swatted a shot and his head like he had to he had to move his head. I there's they someone took a still shot of it and his head is crooked trying to avoid it. And it's like a full <laughs> foot above the rim. That is so stupid. To have those kinds of not only instincts but the athleticism to go with it, and I just that that's why I'm sort of excited about a loss like this tonight. I mean, if we could just keep, and I know we said don't root for losses, and and you know the the draft uh, odds have kind of changed and uh, leveled out a little bit, but I mean, if you can get the worst record in the league, by all means, I mean Zion Williamson is available. You're damn right. You're damn right. He's incredible. I mean, I, I'm going to rewatch the game tomorrow because I was really only able to watch some clips. I was watching football today. But to have the skills that he has in that package of a frame is remarkable. And I think most of us out there have heard his name for years because he was such a big thing. I mean, for goodness sakes, the guy's got 2 million Instagram followers, which is insane for a college player. But mm -hmm. it was kind of the, oh, you know, he's just a, a big highlight reel donker. You know, he'll do his thing. He'll struggle to shoot in college or struggle to do all these things. He hasn't done that at all. He had 27 points, 16 rebounds, six blocks, four assists, and a steal. Uh, what the what the hell? And, and Matt, buddy, I, I don't think he missed. I forgot when he finally missed. I think he made his it was first eleven nine. of fourteen from the floor. Yeah, I think he made his first nine or ten shots. He he didn't miss. And I mean, and, and I was they combined for seventy five points. Yeah, Barrett, and, and Radish, I, and Williamson again after the first game against Kentucky when they were also combined for basically their entire offense. Yeah, and I, and I was tweeting about it before uh, earlier in the day when I was watching the game, and I was really impressed, obviously, with Zion, as anybody with um, eyeballs and a brain should be. And uh, I had somebody tweet me to tell me that um, all he was doing was layups. And I said, That's absurd. Okay. Um, even if that were true, he's made nine of them without missing. Do those count <laughs> for uh, a different amount of points? One and a half I'm points. I mean— Matt, let let me ask you. So, if you're, you know, Zion Williamson, and and how tall is he, Matt? He's six eight. Six eight. And how much does he weigh? Two hundred and eighty five pounds. And is that more or less than uh, one LeBron James? That's more. It's more. It's more. So, um, when you're built like a grown man more than a grown man, and you're playing against guys who are 200 pounds, 190s, maybe low 210s, 220s, and um, why would you settle for jump shots when you can simply plow through? No need to settle for jumpers. The, the, that's what they always tell you is be aggressive. Don't settle. Don't settle. Don't settle. So we're going to suddenly penalize the great Zion Williamson for not settling and taking advantage of his God-given talents? It's absurd. It's absurd. The kid, the kid has a, a certain set of skills, and he excels with them, and he used them today. And I mean, we haven't even gotten to to Barrett or, or anybody else, but I mean, we're not going to go too into depth about that. But I just wanted to say that um, nice little segue is so on a night like tonight, it's okay to remember that this is a young, 
team. They're going to play like a young team sometimes. And it's okay because there's a bevy of prospects who could possibly be generational and that the Knicks have a chance at getting. So that being said, uh, tonight was awful. So we're going to talk about our second favorite team in basketball now. Correct. Okay, got it. Yeah, an awful, awful, awful showing from the Knicks from the get-go. They lose the first quarter 30-10, to 10, simply could not score the basketball throughout the rest of the game. They struggled offensively, lost by a final score of 115-89. to 89. We saw Frank Nielakino play just six minutes. He did not score. He did not record an assist. The Knicks shot 35% from the floor. We saw Ron Baker play minutes, which is the sign of something going terribly, terribly wrong over the course of the game. Not a lot of positives. Let's start with the negatives first, and then we'll get to a couple positives because we do have some positives, obviously, with the performance of a couple young studs. So what's the number one thing above all else that sticks out in your mind, Kyle, after watching this game about why the Knicks absolutely took a shit on the floor tonight? The the thing that sticks out to me the most is they're a young team. We knew they were going to be one of the worst teams in the league. We didn't know quite where. I think a lot of fans got really excited from the start, but we knew they were going to be bad, right? So they're a bad team. They're a young team. And furthermore, this is the second night of a back-to-back after they went up to Toronto yesterday. And they played the not only surging, not only will be contending, but the elite Toronto Raptors. And um, they started out okay in that, you know, in that game, the first half of the first quarter or so and then you know the the Raptors are the Raptors and there's ebbs and flows to the season and when you're a not good team and you you play a good team and uh, on the road and then you got to fly back and play another game the next night it's it's always going to be difficult that's difficult for any team in the league but for a young inexperienced team it's it's uh, accentuated a little bit so that's the first thing that I thought I was like these guys look like they have dead legs like even um Timmy who I've been a big proponent of saying He's been active and engaged. And it wasn't just Timmy, and it wasn't just Cantor, and it wasn't just a lot of guys. Uh, everybody looked dead. But one one play in particular, someone set a screen on, on Timmy, and he just did not get around it. And um, Fournier just kept rolling right to the rim. And then Timmy's just jogging behind him, just jogging. And then it was okay because he was going directly at Cantor. And had Cantor just stepped up in time, which – we all know what happens, but had he just stepped up, that's asking time, way too it, much of him, Kyle. Right. So, so of course, Cantor doesn't step at all and just contests once he gets to the rim. But he's Cantor, so the bucket was good. But it was just like just seeing like two back to back, like Cantor. You expect it, but when you see it with Timmy, who's been again not a great defender this year, but just more engaged and active, not even being engaged and active, that was disheartening. So when I saw that, and then. You know, Timmy's shots weren't falling. It was just like you know what it's gonna. He's he's been the catalyst all year. He's averaging. Before tonight, it was, I think, 27 points per game. I think he was 14th in the league still uh, through the first 12 games of the year, which is great. And uh, if his shots aren't falling and, and the energy level is going to be that low, it's going to be a long night. And it was. So, um, you know, outside of that, Frank didn't play great. I do want to say one thing on that before um, I pass the mic back to you here. They did ask David Fisdale about Frank Nielakina playing just six minutes tonight. And he said... Uh, the team was struggling, and he wanted to see other lineup combinations, which, as we know, with not just the starting lineup, but with the lineups in general, it was going to be fluid all year. He was going to experiment all year because this is an experimental season. It's a developmental season, so you'd expect to see these kinds of things from time to time, even if it's at the expense of our dear, you know, dearly beloved Frank Nielakina. Um, but he said he also mentioned that Nielakina has been struggling with a shot, and he's looking for more offense from Trey Burke, which, as much as we love Frank, that's fair. It is. It is. It is fair. Did you just want to get that comment in? Because last time I said the quote before you did. Is that why you said before you turned the mic over to me? Just so you could get the Fizdale quote in, huh? Actually, no. But now that you said that, uh, I'm happy I did. You're a bastard. <laughs> did you Did you have it locked and loaded? Oh, I was ready. I was totally ready. I was bringing it up. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, continue. I think it's only fair because... It's only fair, first off, to say that Hardaway was awful tonight because we've talked a lot about how we we give more credit than most of the fan base does. But, I mean, he was brutal, both defensively and offensively, 2 of 12 from the floor. Just We saw him revert to just some awful shot selection, and he was a frustrating player to watch tonight. Completely fair. Any criticism you want to throw his way tonight is is well-deserved. For Frank, 
I was talking because I was manning the account yesterday because I was tweeting the Raptors game and I was talking with some people about how Trey Burke had a couple DNPs. This is always going to be a fluid situation because we know Emmanuel Moutier is not good at basketball. So he can have a few good games and then he'll do you know what he did tonight and he looks bad again. And then the Knicks need to throw Trey Burke back out there. But neither of those two between Burke or Moutier are good enough or long-term pieces for this team in that the Knicks need to reserve minutes for them. So when you see Trey Burke play 20 minutes tonight and Frank play six and Moutier play 17, it's obviously not what you would ideally want. But I don't have an issue with Fizdo trying to light a fire under a Frank for a young team, trying to give him more motivation to play better because, quite frankly, he's been, no pun intended, awful offensively in the last few games. And we are always going to defend him because I don't think there's any reason why we should be freaking out. We we are always going to pe- preach patience with him. He's 20 years old. He's still coming into his role. I understand the frustrations. I'm sure there are plenty of people out there that are are frank, you know, haters, if you want to use that word, but maybe they just are not quite as optimistic about his offensive game coming along as others. That's totally fine. We hear you. But patience is the name of the game this year. It's the virtue that we need to have for this Knicks team. They're going to be trying a lot of different things, a lot of different lineup combinations. So we see tonight... Mitchell Robinson, 22 minutes. Vonley, 23 minutes. Cantor, 26 minutes. They were throwing around minutes in the front court, too, that were about the same. It's trying different lineups and seeing what works. I think that if this becomes a trend where Frank's only playing five or six minutes over the next three games or something, or he hits the bench, then I'll have an issue. Because that shouldn't be how this goes moving forward. It should be, he didn't play well tonight. Let him sit on the bench. Let him ruminate about what happened. And then he'll come back next game when they play in OKC on Wednesday and start to perk up and get another opportunity to get out there, play his 20, 25 minutes, and see if he can't get some offense going. That's how I'd like to see this go this week as we look ahead to what the Knicks have on tap for Frank. But after one game, I'm not freaking out about it, although he was admittedly incredibly awful tonight on the offensive end. And it was in very so I don't want to sit here and say, um, you know, in the sense that Timmy was bad offensively tonight, I don't want to sit here and say Frank was awful as well because in the first couple minutes of a game you're still getting the feel for things and the flow of things and i i, I want to say you know it wasn't arguments but we debated a little bit on twitter with some fans and um i understand letting guys play through it but i also again you know we we kind of rightfully probably get the reputation of being frank stands and um we've defended him when he's played bad and played through it because most of the time he brings the effort defensively but at and I, I say this once every two weeks, but at the end of the day, the the game of basketball is about getting buckets. And you know, it's one thing if you're if you're not scoring in in, in a high volume, or you're not scoring frequently, but you're still scoring, you're still contributing. Like we see him do sometimes, where he has these eight or ten point games. Um, that's okay. That's going to keep you in games. If you're going to score eight or ten points, hit a couple of threes, and play good defense, that's fine. But when you're just not scoring at all, it makes things really difficult. And he wasn't even really moving the ball well. There was no assists. Uh, he had a turnover, I think. Like w- When you're not doing anything offensively, it's bad. And, again, as a Frank defender, we have been. you got to be fair. you got to call it both ways. Same thing we did with Timmy before. I mean, he just wasn't good tonight. And the thing, too, about people are saying, well, why won't Fizdale let him play through it? He has before. That game in Washington, Frank really wasn't that spectacular. He had, he had some pretty good defensive plays during that game. He played pretty stout defense. It wasn't a great game for uh, the team as a whole, but he's let him play through um, kind of poor offensive stretches before. So I don't think it's really fair to say, oh, well, you know, Fizdale should have done that, uh, should have let him keep playing through it. You know, I, I love Frank, but Frank doesn't deserve unlimited chances either. Like at some, sometimes like coaching is about lessons and, so, and you got to figure out, kind of who needs a kiss and who needs a kick in the ass. And I think they're still trying to figure that out with Frank, how to, how to get that fire lit underneath him, as you said before. And it, it's part of a long season. It's part of figuring out how to get the most out of your players. And Fizdale said this all year so far, all summer. It's not just about this year. It's about next year. It's about the year after that. Everybody's supposed to be looking farther ahead. So if we just always microscope in on these, on these singular nights of, oh, well, Frank was asked tonight, he's always going to be asked. He has no offensive game or uh, Fizdale's, you know, a terrible coach. You should have let him play through it. We're never going to get anywhere. 
we knew this was going to be experimental. You got to try to figure out what works for, for Frank and what works for the team. And I think it's fine if Frank doesn't have it going, then okay. Burke took a, a backseat, what, the last four games? Yeah, I mean, he had two straight DNPs. So, you know what? Yeah, I mean, let him get in. Let him get some run then. I mean, it's it's fair. And then, you know, again, got to give credit where it's due. You know, we've kind of, again, I don't think we've shit on, you know, Burke in any way, but Burke just really wasn't that impressive in the preseason. He wasn't that impressive with his starting spot to start the year. And it seemed fair to, to give Frank a shake. And there's been a mixed bag of returns there. But Burke came in tonight. He played 19 minutes. Wasn't over. He wasn't efficient. You know, five of thirteen from the field, but he still was scoring. You know, and not only that, he was playmaking a little bit, five assists. So, you know, that's the thing is the bar so low with the point guards is that that's kind of that's going to get it done. It's been the whole keep what you kill mantra, and if someone's not getting it done, you can't just keep him in at the detriment of the team either. Because if he's playing poorly and he can't figure it out, you know. I understand throwing him to the fire, but you got to figure out kind of when to throw him the towel on it too in a certain game. You know, if he really is having a difficult time and can't get out of his own head and he's struggling, it's not going to do him any good to just stay out there struggling. Sometimes, and you got to pick your spots, and that's why you said about making sure this is a isolated incident versus Frank sitting for the next week. But you got to pick your spots sometime and go. You know what? The kid needs a breather, and right. I think that's to me that's what this appeared to be given how long his leash had been prior. But obviously the next couple of games will be pretty telling with that. Agreed. And it's important generally from a fan perspective that we don't get too high or too low with this because we had some people earlier in the year. And like I said, I always understand this. It's fine. You can get excited. But the Knicks were never going to be anything more than a bottom five team. And they looked every part of that tonight. You can't get too high or too low. They're not the worst team in the league. They're also not going to make the playoffs. They're exactly where we thought they would be. They're 4-10. and 10. They're at the bottom of the standings, and they're going to have an excellent shot, as we mentioned at the top of the program, to get a really good prospect. There's no reason for us to think any differently about what this team is. We know what this team is exactly standing for at this point in the season. And it's fine with how they dole out the minutes, but just don't get too high or too low. After a game like this, don't be saying... This is terrible. Everything is wrong. What is Fizdo doing with Frank? It's one game. That's fine. They had a nice game against the Hawks last week to get a win. And then they had a tough game in Toronto, obviously, in which the starters actually played very well against Toronto's starting unit. And they did a good job at keeping Kawhi Leonard and Kyle Lowry down. Just don't get too high or too low. That's, that's really all I ask. It's about patience. And I get that it's hard. But... Go through these. It's all about the small signs and, and what we see from some of the guys. So let's talk about some of those small signs real quick because Mitchell Robinson, what a game from him, huh? Nine blocks. One might get taken away because it was Trier, but I mean, still, awesome. I mean, what what a game or what a second half? Because remember, a he didn't half. play. He didn't play almost that entire first half. Right. He got a he got a really quick, not a quick hook, but I well, mean, he, had, he, he had five blocks in eight minutes. I think at one point they showed his yeah. box and it was like two points, three rebounds, five blocks, eight minutes played. Yeah, it was like uh, it was like that last eight minutes of the fourth quarter. Yeah, like the I, I think from like minute the eight minute mark in the fourth quarter to like the the three or two minute mark, and he just he just went berserk, man. I mean, it, that's that's nice to see, right? So he gets in, and we knew about his foul issues. He he's just he's a young guy. He hasn't played in a year, um, though his instincts are there to be a special defensive player. His timing isn't always. It's gonna come with the reps, uh, getting adjusted to this level of competition and so we saw those two couple quick fouls on uh, i think it was on vucevic both of them and he took a seat canner came in canner uh, for all his defensive woes i mean at least canner was scoring and rebounding pretty well but i mean that didn't help the team whatsoever the ennis canter experience summed up right there basically he's yeah. god i i want to i've spent most of tonight's game in the first half once they were struggling just watching him play defense and i tweeted out a couple clips if you ever want to pull your own hair out watching a game just watch him try to play defense and watch him try to understand the concepts of a pick and roll and where he should be it is infuriating to watch him try to figure out how to play defense on a basketball court and it's so obvious that he sabotages the team on that end that whatever he does on the other end is just a moot point because you look in the box score every night and his lines always look good you go 16 and 15 that's fantastic he was a minus 20 
and I know we've said about plus minus, but he he makes the team worse when he's on the floor. I'm not breaking any news here. No, no, no. That's that's the thing is there's there's times when uh, th- that'll happen. I mean, I, I've given a, a lot of shit to that phrase, empty stats, but he's kind of one of those guys who uh, sort of epitomizes it because he's always playing catch up. You know, he, he gives it up and then he's like, OK, I'm going to come right down and try to get a bucket. And then he gives it back up again. And it's. It's just that's the nature of his game. That's why trying to keep him in a bench role right. is is probably for the best. That's why he was so effective in Oklahoma City. But, you know, small doses and making sure you got the right lineup around him. And I truly don't think it's an effort issue either. I think we've said I don't, that before. I, was I just think say, he just can't pick it up. I just don't think he understands. I, I was going to say, when you were talking about him trying to pick up the concepts, the first thing I thought of was him trying to defend the pick and roll. And if you look, when he's trying to move laterally or even when he tries to backtrack sometimes he's just so clunky with how he moves it's just his body like it's awful. he's you could see sometimes he's trying to get to the spot that he knows he's supposed to go to and it's not all the time because sometimes he just blows the assignment but there's times when he he's genuinely going the right direction or going to the right spot and his body just does not move in a way that is you know conducive of good defense he just kind of gets like stuck tripping over his own body is the best way i could put it he just it's it's a very clunky, not very fluid at all movement in him trying to move around defensively. Whereas offensively, it always seems like he's you know, running downhill basically. And he's got that control. figured out. Always yeah, in control. But, but defensively it's just the, the total opposites. And he doesn't even understand the concept of rim protection. That phrase does not exist in his basketball brain. No. Does not mean no. anything to him. But thankfully, back to Mitch. Yes. You know, we have somebody. Sorry, I had does. to go on the. I had to go on the canter. No, no, no. I, I, no I, I know. I know. And it's it's deserved. Listen, we we gotta hash all these things out. It was it was a nice month to start the season where they were really fun and the guys were really contributing and and there wasn't really anything glaring. There was issues, of course. They were losing games, but it wasn't like this. So now when a game like this happens, okay, now we gotta reevaluate things a little bit now we got to settle back down and it's just the nature of the the game here but um mitch just looked really really good and and those bigs in orlando th- that's why i'm more excited because those bigs aren't anything to scoff at i i know mo bamba was uh, you know more about mo bamba than i need, need to even try to explain but <laughs> um mo bamba's a special talent i mean he's he's gonna be good he is good and um you know mitch you know, got into him a little bit tonight. And um, also, obviously, uh, Vucevic, he got into him tonight. And he just, uh, that, that uh, the, the eighth one, I think, he was on the floor, his eighth block, right before. He was on the floor. He fell down on his back. For a split second, you could see he was frustrated or angry. He didn't give up, but he just took like a second to just like take a breath. And all of a sudden, he sees the ball get whipped to the corner. He gets up in an instant, takes like two strides, maybe tops. It might have been like a step and a half. And lunges up, swats that shit out of bounds. And it's like, that's special. Like, that's the stuff we saw in the summer league that we weren't sure if we'd see in the meaningful games. And it's like seeing him be able to not just block big men because he's tall and lanky and has the athleticism to jump up and block those shots, but beat it. Seeing him get up off the fucking floor and then sprint to the corner and then swat it out of bounds like that's special that's when you realize the talent level that the kid has yeah and I think that I speak for both of us when I say I've been if you would have asked me at this point where I feel about his development I say I think I'm more optimistic than I thought I'd be at this point I think he's been better up until this point than I thought he'd be in his NBA career do you agree yeah I I think I said it was last week or the week before. I don't think he's as good as everybody, the, the very pro people that yelled at us for months on end about him not our stance on on Mitchell Robinson. They thought he was going to be an NBA starter, a quality NBA starter immediately, and I don't. I still don't think he's that. But there's nights like this where he flashes the potential, and to me, he's he's not where everyone probably dreamt he would be at or hoped he would be at the pipe dream that he'd be a quality uh, starter night in and night out consistently. But he's much further ahead of schedule than where we had pegged him at. And I think that's good. That's the one thing that I think people maybe get confused with us about is we just try to temper expectations because a lot of times we get fan bases get excited about guys early or in preseason or summer league and you get carried away. And then when that player isn't doing well in the meaningful games, we start trashing the aforementioned player. And 
you know, why aren't they doing the, the, the nice things that we saw them do before? And it's just a very angsty, frustrating experience to have to go through. So we always just try to stay as balanced and level-headed as we can. We liked a lot of his instincts. We liked, you know, we loved his athleticism, obviously, as everyone should. And um, we just weren't sure about certain things. But we also thoroughly enjoy being wrong about our own players when they start playing well. So him being ahead of schedule is great. I I would take being wrong about that kind of stuff 10 times out of 10. Like, that's that's beautiful. Like, I don't give a shit if I'm wrong about it. If if he's going to prove us wrong or any other of these guys are going to prove us wrong, like, that's that's fine. That's how you'd want it to happen to you. So, I mean, we're th- I probably speak for both of us, too. I think we're thrilled that he's as far ahead of schedule as he's currently showing to be right now. It's a long season, but the early returns are pretty damn good. Yeah, and to your point, it's like my DD thing. I was wrong about him being bad, but then he was really good. And why would I be upset about that? I was wrong, but this is a positive for us, right? Right? Exactly. Exactly. That, that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. We all want the same thing. And then even when I'm running the account during the games, just because I think Frank is the answer at point guard going forward does not mean I hate Trey Burke or Emmanuel Moutier. The Knicks haven't had a, a, a legitimate starting point guard in how long? I mean, I ask this every week almost. It's Chris, well, Chris Duhon, yeah. Chris Duhon, right? So basically, the the great record-holding Chris Duhon. So, Legendary. So, um, you know, I we would probably love if Trey Burke all of a sudden turned into a, you know, a, effective quality starter and started, you know, scoring efficiently and playmaking consistently, and we would love that. If Moutier suddenly turned his career around with David Fisdale, the system worked, you know, he got the right coaching, and... You know, like, we would love that. If, if these guys turned out to be really legit, it doesn't have to be Frank. It doesn't have to be any one of these guys. But we would love for that to happen. We would love for, you know, Timmy to, to pick his field goal percentage up and play, you know, above average defense. Like, we would love all these things to happen. We're not trying to hate on anybody. We don't hate any of these players outside of you and Mario Hazonia. But I was going to say, please, don't <laughs> speak for you. I, I hate Mario Hazonia, all right? Let's make one thing clear. There's one guy in this roster I hate, and it's Hazonia. No, I, he, he's mad. People were mad at us, mad at us in the summer or over the, the, the Mitchell Robinson stuff. They're mad too. But like, I understood it. Like the Hazonia stuff. I was like, guys, like he had like one half of a season where he played really effective basketball. Like let's, let's tone the fuck down. Everyone's like, well, well, we should assign him to a two year deal. We should assign him to a team option. We should, oh I was God. like, guys, like we don't, why, why is it a guarantee that Mario fucking Hazonia was going to ball the fuck out? Why was that the hill everyone chose to die on? I, I, I cannot describe how angry he makes me when he's on the basketball court. Like, I yell at him. If you had a live stream on me, I would yell at him. That's the only time I really get high or low when I'm watching a game is when something great happens. Like, Mitchie, when he's blocking shots, I'm yelling. When it's Hazonia, when he's the, – the pick and roll stuff with him and Cantor on defense. If a team wants to go score – just go run with a pick and roll with Azonia and Cantor. You'll score every single time. Like you'll get two points per possession in a pick and roll. I promise. You can have the best offense in the league if you just run that every single time. You'll be golden. That's all you need to do. Yeah, it, you know what bothers me about Hazonia, and you probably don't agree, but I do. Um, he looks like he should be good at basketball. No, that's I've true. said this about I've said this about other players in the past, but it applies to him. Like for example, he'll do certain things like. Um, normally it's on the defensive glass. So he'll come in, crash nice and hard, get a rebound. Cause he actually rebounds. Okay. Like he, he does like, I'll give him that, but he comes in, he'll get a rebound immediately. He's looking up, he's scanning the floor. He's got a decent, uh, ball handling ability. He, he's looking to run the floor. He's looking, looking, and then like he'll get down and they're about to start the set. And then he just fucks it up. Like he does some weird drive that's just off balance and he's just kind of throwing something up and i'm like what are you what are we doing what do you it's like he goes from being totally in control on one end to totally out of control on the other and i'm trying to put my finger on it i've been i I went back and watched a couple of the games i don't know if it's like the half court sets that throw him off i I don't know if he should only be pushing and nothing more like they i think they got to just like restrict his leash like look man if you can't get a bucket in transition kick that shit out and basically, A, if you're not going to be cutting, B, stand in a corner and wait for us to kick it out for a three. Because he's able to hit some threes. But it's like when he tries to create too much in the half court is I feel like when he struggles. Because when he's 
in the open floor and he's pushing off, you know, off the defensive glass, I feel like that's when he looks comfortable and looks like he should be effective. And then he just tries to create a lot and it's not there. He is what he is as a player too. So whatever sort of leash they have for him, it's not even worth defining because when he's on the court, he's going to do his thing. He's going to make the terrible pass. He's going to take the contested shot over the wide open three for some godforsaken reason. The man hates open shots more than anyone I've ever seen in my entire life. He's like the anti-Markel Fultz. It's just absurd. He he pumps uh, a number of times until the defense closes out, and then he I, I don't understand. It's almost it's almost J.R. Smith like, and I don't. I hate to even say that because then we have to do the whole, oh, well, he's also the number eight in New York thing. J.R. Smith is 10 times the player that Mario has Oh, oh no, 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 for, for sure. But in the sense that, like, J.R. would be open sometimes, and then he'd do like that, I'm going to take a step in, but not really. I'm just going to do a step back three anyway, when he could have just spot up to taking the three. And then they would ask J.R. after games about it sometimes, and they'd say, J.R., why, would, why do you take so many contested shots? We counted three that were wide open that you could have just taken. And he's just like, oh, wide open shots are boring. Like, but JR is also, it was obviously a more talented player, always has been. And it's different, but like that kind of parallel always is, always gets him. Like, why, why, why? You, you always look for the open shot. I don't, me as a basketball player in my life, I've never enjoyed taking contested shots. No basketball player should enjoy taking contested shots. Like the, the list of guys you probably enjoy, it's, it, it's very small. It's like Carmelo Anthony, Allen Iverson, you can add a name if you can think of one. It's a, it's, a very, it's a very small list of guys who always look very comfortable and, like, they're looking for that kind of pressure. But generally, like, you you take the – maybe Dwayne Wade. Dwayne, Dwayne Wade used to love running into people. Yeah, he did love the contact. But, but anyway, too. but I digress. So he's a, he's a perplexing player. It's not going the way that we had hoped. Um, and this is one of those things where you could say, well, thank God it's a one-year deal. Yeah, it's really not, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter much because he's going to be here this year, and he makes them worse when he's on the floor. So, great. Great stuff. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. There was one other thing I got on my list here that I want to talk about, and that's Damian Dotson. Another kind of quiet game, 2 of 4 from the floor. He's another player that I don't really worry on a game-to-game basis because I think he's not really much in terms of demanding in the offense. So, the ebbs and flows of a game basically our contingent, you know, all right, let's make a fantasy football comparison here, Kyle. There's a lot of players in fantasy football that get their production no matter what. When you're looking at the Todd Gurley's, the Alvin Kamara's, the Odell Beckham's, you know, they're going to get their output no matter what. And then there's other players that are sometimes dependent on the game script, where depending on how the game goes, they often go with the game. If it's more of a run heavy game, you know, then you look at someone like you know Mike Davis today for the Seahawks. That is a better option. But with Dotson, I think he's just game flow dependent. If the Knicks are in the game and competitive and he's playing normal minutes and getting opportunities to spot up, he's much more effective. So I don't really worry about him on a game-to-game basis in a game like this. And he was quiet against Toronto also. So I, I don't really – not really affecting me much. I guess he wasn't quiet against Toronto. I was thinking the Atlanta game. I'm sorry. But, yeah. What do you think about Dot? I think one of the first things I said when he started, when he broke into the starting lineup and he, he cranked out like five or six games in a row, just double digits. I remember saying what I loved about his game was he's not trying to do too much. Like he can create for himself. That's not an issue. It's in his bag, but he's not looking to only create like, you know, his own, he tries to do too much or even Timmy, Timmy's I'm not knocking Timmy, but I'm saying Timmy does that in the flow of the offense where he'll just kind of break and, and create because he, you know, has the talent level to do it. But Dotson kind of knows his role and knows where to fall in line. And unless he's absolutely pressed, like he's not really trying to look for his own offense. You know, he's mostly he cuts a lot. He rotates well. You know, he's always if you watch him, he's never really not moving. Not quite like a Ray Allen. He used to sprint from spot to spot. But you could always see him floating around like the, the ball will move, the ball rotate. And you'll see Dot move back up to the top of the key or drop down to the corner. So he's always just fitting into whatever the offensive plan is. And that's what I like about him. So even if even if he's quiet, you know, to your point, it's not really an indictment against them. It's just sometimes the shots aren't going to be there in in that sort of a system if that's the kind of player you are. And he is that right now. And I think he can be more in time. I think this season will probably see him grow a little bit and develop into that. But in this current moment, like in these reps, like he's not going to try to do too much. He's not going to try to go over the top. 
you know, he found his his success basically just going, hey, man, uh, I'm just going to keep rotating and get it open for these threes. I'm going to knock them down. I'm just spotting up, catching, shooting, drilling these threes. I'm going to cut when I can, and I'm going to attack the boards. And that's been his, you know, go-to so far. So um, it's not an indictment against him. I just think it was, you know, like you said, it was a quiet night. And, yeah, I mean, there's not – I guess there's not a whole hell of a lot to, to really – say about that besides that but i think he's gonna bounce back um just fine the Knicks starters had a worried. combined 20 points tonight by the way combined it, it, it was it was bad but one thing i do want to jump to next is um knox had a weird game yes we haven't talked about knox yet let's talk about kevin knox knox had a weird game and it it excited me so let me explain so he has 17 points but you look at it and he shot four of 11 from the field he shot two of six from deep but what I enjoyed the most was he got to the line 10 times. He shot 7 of 10 from the line. Only three rebounds, a couple of turnovers. But my favorite things about this was, um, A, him getting to the line 10 times is good. We wanted to see him get aggressive. You know, one thing about him, um, I think you mentioned in college, was sometimes he would kind of just disappear. Yeah. And in the early going in tonight's game, because – it seemed as though he was just kind of standing around. Um, that that did look like the case. But then all of a sudden he started getting aggressive. And he was just flying in for rebounds. And he didn't have a ton of rebounds. But just the effort of trying to like crash and get there. He drew a foul on a couple of those rebounds that he did end up getting. So that was good. And he tried to go back up, second effort, and get it done. And, you know, he got fouled and got to the line. Like, that's that's good. That's good. If you aren't getting your shots, you have to work to find your opportunities. That's what you want to see. I said that before on this podcast is, you know, everybody wants to score, but sometimes it's just not in the cards for you in a game or in a team or in a lineup. So you have to find other ways to contribute. And it looked like he was trying to do that. Like, look, man, nobody's able to score. Nobody's putting this ball in the goddamn hoops tonight. Like, I'm just running at the rim as many times as I can. If they found me, they found me, but I'm trying. And I like that. To me, I'll always like that. That's that's a level of energy that I appreciate. So that was really good. I also like that. I mean, he's been fouling like a motherfucker in the games that he's been in. <laughs> he has. So so he only had two fouls tonight. That was good. And this is all before we even get to the point about him. You know, one of those rebounds that he got was that putback uh, putback dunk where he yammed it on Mobamba. I liked that. That was nice. And that that was nice. I I too enjoyed that. Oh, I'm so, glad to hear that. Seeing him on the those same page. kinds of things, exactly. So. But right after that dunk, you know what I enjoyed was he came down and hit a three. But the three was nice. He knew it was coming. Trey Burke threw him this past. Uh, Knox knew he was going to be wide open. Didn't think about anything. And we've seen him be a little shaky at times with the ball. Didn't even hesitate. Just He knew that ball was coming. He literally took one step in. And he was probably three or four feet behind the three-point line and just drilled the three. And again, he didn't shoot overly well from the three-point line, two of six tonight. But just seeing the confidence once he started to get going – like, once he kept attacking and getting to the free throw line, once he got that putback dunk, and then he's like, you know what? I'm just going to let it rip now. Got his three-point opportunity after that, drilled the three. <coughs> so, for me, that was all very encouraging. And then he ends up finishing with 17 points on 11 shots, and because he was aggressive and trying to attack the rim and rebound, he was able to get to the line and then get his points anyway and have an impact. And out of, I mean, maybe... The only two players that you could really say had a positive impact tonight were him and Mitchell Robinson. And I I think that was clear as day. I mean, they got decimated anyway, but I think it was clear as day that those two were making an actual positive impact. Absolutely. And I'm going to make this a hyperbolic statement, and this isn't completely antithetical to how we should view basketball, but I really don't care about Kevin Knox's efficiency very much. At I just, all. I just don't. like At all. He can go out there and shoot four of 11, and I'm going to watch him get to the line 10 times and have a nice putback dunk, and I say, that's a good game from him. I'm fine with that. And then he'll have other games where he'll shoot 0 for 6, like we saw a couple games ago, and he struggles, and that's frustrating. And then I'll have a couple games where he'll go 6 for 8. But I just don't really care much about his efficiency this year. It's not something I'm really keeping a close eye on. If it gets that bad, then sure, it's a discussion we can have, but I'm not all that concerned with what he shoots from the floor this year. I like to see him shoot six threes. And as you mentioned, him getting to the line 10 times is fantastic. One issue that plagues him, when he goes into drive, he's not very strong 
at finishing. So it becomes either a fouled or a wild miss. So he has to hope for the foul. He had a couple where I think he got bailed out by the refs. He had one when he came flying across the lane, and I thought it was all ball, but they called a foul, and he got to the line. Uh, that's something that he's going to have to improve on is just a general strength and confidence around the rim to finish instead of relying on that free throw opportunity. But the energy that we see from him, we saw him have a pretty good game in Toronto too in, in limited minutes. It's good to see him get back out there. And it's a weird kind of dynamic because he was out for so long and I get it wasn't that many games, but it felt like a while. And all of a sudden we got excited about some other players and then he's come back and it's kind of felt like the buzz with him has died down. Don't let that buzz die down. This is still a really exciting prospect. And let's get excited about Kevin Knox again. And let's see what he can bring over the next few games. Because what we've seen this weekend was really fantastic. And, and I'm glad you brought that up about his buzz dying down. Because it, it was funny. Because the it almost happened in spurts. Like Trier kind of took over. Just coming off the bench and being able to score. Mitchell Robinson still wasn't starting initially, right? But Trier was coming off the bench, Knox was injured, and then Trier just kept getting buckets. So it's like, oh, man, this is fun, you know, because it happened in, in spurts like that. And then right after that, Robinson start, you know, gets the, the starting nod, and then he's blocking shots, and he looks pretty good right out of the gates. You're like, oh, this is good. Mitchell Robinson, uh, he could be a starter. You're, Look at this. He's ahead of schedule. This is fun. And then in the middle of that happening, Trier's still balling out. He's setting his career highs. And you're like, oh, this is great. This is Look at this. We got two good rookies here. And then you're just like, oh, shit, Kevin Knox is – Remember that guy that yeah, that guy we the drafted in the top fire? 10? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah th- th- that guy that led all, all scores in the summer league who looked like he was just far too good to be there? Like, yeah, like he's still injured. And I saw a couple people say, like, oh, you know, Knox has to show – like this was earlier today. And uh, someone was like, oh, you know, it wasn't just one person. Just a bunch of people saying, you know, Knox has to show me something. Knox has to show me something. And I'm like, guys, he played the, the, the season opener. Then he played the second game, which was against Brooklyn – where he had a pretty decent game. I think he had 14 points, and he shot pretty well. And um, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't the next game the Celtics game? Then well, He went down, what, the third or fourth game of the season? It was, yeah, it was the third game because he played the first game where he was pretty quiet, or he had 10 points against Atlanta, but he struggled from the floor, and then he had a Brooklyn game, and then he got hurt in the Celtics game. Exactly, and he and it was early in the, in the Celtics game. He only played game four too. minutes, yeah. yeah exactly. Game, yeah. So, so, I mean, he barely even played. So he played two games. Then what, what did he come back uh, three games ago and he yeah, played against four the minutes. Bulls. Yeah. Like, five so minutes again, against the Bulls. So again, he, he really did not play. So the only games that you could really go off of then were after the Bulls game. I mean, the, the first two games of the year and then after the Bulls game. And even then the, the first game or so, I, you got to take with a, a grain of salt because he's working his way back from injury. So I just don't know why. You know, I, even against uh, Atlanta, I think that was last Wednesday, he played nine minutes. You know, it's just he's working his way back now from an injury on top of being a rookie. And for the games that he's actually played significant minutes in, he's played well more often than he hasn't. Like he had, I think, 14 against the Nets in the second game of the year. He had um, 12 in Toronto uh, on another 4 of 11 shooting night. And and I'm going by the games that he's played significant minutes. Yeah, in. he's had at least ten points in every game he's played over twenty minutes. Yes, scoring yes. double and digits every time. So so basically, from the actual sample that we expected him to play in, when he does play that sample, he's doing exactly what we hoped he would do. We said in the in the summertime that we hoped if he scored between twelve and fifteen points per game, we thought that'd be an excellent rookie season. And in his minutes, that you know when he's getting those minutes again, it's very very soon, but. He's done that. So what are we really upset about? When he's gotten the minutes, he's mostly produced. You know, I, I just don't get – I guess I don't get the ire for that one. I, it's more than just the the hype going away. It was just almost like, the, well, Knox needs to show me something. I'm like, he's he just got back, and he's been playing pretty well. I don't, what do you want from the kid? He can't save – I mean, th- we, we can't save everybody. Like, this team isn't going to be good right away just because Kevin Knox came back. Right. We hope so. We, we've been rooting for wins this whole year. I hope that they start winning. I hope that he starts playing 30 minutes a night and starts balling out. That would be great, but it, I, I just don't know what you guys want from the kid. I'm very confused. Yeah, I want to tie this into Mitch Robinson real quick because I have a point about just what they want to view from him moving forward. But with a team this young, it's like they have a bunch of lottery tickets, right? And you need a couple to hit. So we've said about Frank, we know that his defense is already really good. 
But if he can't be a great offensive player, he might not be the guy that we all want him to be in the future. If he can't perk up a little offensively, and we're, he's got plenty of time to still get there, so we're, the verdict is certainly not out yet. But it's about progression from these guys and finding who's going to hit. So when we're looking at a Mitchell Robinson, who I enjoy a lot as a player, I think watching him get blocks is incredibly entertaining. I love tonight's game. Watching him yam on the alley-oops is definitely a top three to five favorite thing of mine this year. Just a Mitchell Robinson running the lane general point is awesome. But at the same token, we need to be careful about our expectations about a certain type of player. Mitchell Robinson is a rim-protecting, rim-running big man that can do literally nothing else. He isn't really impacting a game in terms of ball movement. He's not some sort of great decision-maker in the pick-and-roll. He's not shooting anything outside the paint, and when he has, it's looked completely disgusting. So it's important for us to remember that basketball is changing, and we need to think about the type of players that are going to be the backbone of a successful team. So with Mitchell Robinson, the archetype for him, and this is a guy that gets brought up, I don't think this is a good comp because I think this guy's much better and has much more skill than Robinson, but the Capella comp, I saw someone mention, it might have been Giberman as we were talking, like a Rudy Gobert is like Mitchell Robinson's, like he's like a homeless man's Rudy Gobert basically because Gobert doesn't do anything like that either. But the Jazz have had to make some difficult lineup decisions to make Gobert the player that he's become. They've had to go through some tough times with Derek Favors and Ricky Rubio to be able to accomplish a successful, harmonious lineup that can be effective both offensively and defensively. Finding Mitchell Robinson a role on this team, depending on how this roster changes, because it's certainly a malleable roster and it's not the same type of roster we're going to see in two years, assuming that Robinson has still on the team and has continued to progress, is something to keep an eye on. And just understanding that even if we love what he does, we love what he provides defensively, we love his rim running, there is a clear ceiling for a player like him in the modern NBA with his current skill set. He'll have to progress a bit more as a player if you hope that he's going to be the starting center of the future of the Knicks. It's just important to keep these things in mind as we evaluate the players and as we get excited about them. It's just always important to understand how the NBA is now and how it's going to change and how the Knicks have to react to such a change. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be a need for his kind of player. Sure. His energy alone makes him a fantastic cog to have on the floor. There's no doubt. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's just nice because you're starting to see, you know, I wouldn't say the league is reverting in any way, but, you know, we we started to hear that guys had to be like, an Embiid or Porzingis or uh, an Anthony Davis or DeMarcus Cousins or Jokic to be able to play in the league where they had to be able to score and step out behind the three-point line and shoot and, you know, do those kinds of things on offense that guards or wings would also be able to do as well. And you're starting to see guys kind of maintain or break back in like a Gobert or like a Capella where they're just like, hey, man, uh, I don't do that shit, but... I'm going to be a hell of a rim roller. Right. I'm going to snuff out everything. I'm going to rebound everything. And, you know, kind of the evolution of the NBA be damned. I'm not going to start shooting these outside shots. Like DeAndre Jordan's been a damn good center for how long now? And it's like there's always going to be needs for those guys, but you just got to make sure you build that team properly around them. Like, look, Capella had a phenomenal year last year, right? But he had the team around him to do it. They, they had the offensive talent. And they said, you know what? You just go in and you wreak havoc inside. And Gobert is sort of different because though they have sort of a similar skill set, they have um, a much more defensive dependent team identity in Utah. And early this year, they have struggled defensively and they struggled mightily. And it's like if the defense isn't there, they're not going to be successful, whereas other teams normally have the scoring and the offensive talent to get by. But, you know, it's it's just... It's, I guess, kind of, I wouldn't say funny, but it's 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 kind of funny to me that, you know, through, for all these evolutions and the game's changing and things like that, it's funny how many centers can kind of just still be that kind of player and still be that effective. And that's why I'm not really worried about Robinson at all. I'm, I'm encouraged by, you know, kind of what Gibbons' point was, too. It's like you can definitely build legitimate teams or lineups around a player like that. For sure. And they could definitely have a, a very positive impact, even with some offensive limitations. It's just going to require 
a safe hand and a helping hand to determine what kind of lineups are the best to have him featured in. And that's I all. That's the main that, point I'm trying to make here. And I will, yeah, and I will say this is we've had our quarrels, I guess, with some of um, Fizdale's lineups and, and the way he handles certain guys. Like even like for example tonight with the with the point guard situation, we at the beginning of the year we didn't think Burke should be starting. Then all of a sudden Burke went from starting to just you know you know DNPs two games in a row, and you know Moutier went from speculating that maybe he can get cut or maybe they're going to just let him go. And all of a sudden he comes in and plays really well his first couple of games back. And, you know, then Frank takes a seat after five minutes a night. But I feel like a lot of people have had a lot of questions about the way he handles certain players, mostly the point guard situation. But I do want to tip my cap to how he's doing the Mitchell Robinson situation because I think um, he took that gamble on sitting Cantor. And I think that's paid off handsomely so far even Agreed. with some of mitch's quiet games and struggles I, I think the way that he's handling him specifically i think that's exactly what you'd hope to see in terms of development over the course of the season that's all that we cared about that's all we talked about all summer it's all we talked about at the beginning of the year and that's most of what we talk about now is are these guys developing the way that they should and i'm seeing him do that with mitch and that's really fun for me so when you say like you know he's got a it's going to take a steady hand, a safe hand on him. I think, and we'll see the way Fisdale handles other guys and now that Knox is back in the fold full-time, but um, we've basically seen him balance out having Trier be successful. This is this is supposed to be a very free-flowing offense, right? A lot of passes, a lot of movement, and they have not had a lot of passes or movement, and they're very, very low in assists. But my point is they've been in most games. They've been competitive. They've had some kind of success even without the end result being there. And he's allowed Trier to just kind of go in and do what he's good at. You know, he's allowed Robinson to go in and showcase what he's good at. And I say all that to say, you know, regardless of how the point guard situation goes, now that makes me even more encouraged for Knox, seeing how he's been playing in his expanded minutes and seeing now that he's healthy again, I'm encouraged to see what he's going to do going forward. I just think that we've seen Fizzle kind of hit it out of the park with the only sample that we can go off of the first 13 games here with those uh, other two rookies. And I just think, you know, now he gets to show it with Knox. If he starts showing it with Knox the same way that he's allowing uh, Trier and Mitchell to play, I think that we're going to be in really, really good shape. I think that's when I would be truly sold on Fisdale going forward, despite whatever little quarrels we might have about the way he handles Frank and everybody else. If he's going to handle three guys really, really well, get them to really show out then it's kind of hard to have a, an issue with that drew had three blocks tonight and four assists he did and i think one of them one of them wasn't like a chase down chase down but he did it i don't know if you remember this one no, he um, came he out of it, nowhere kind of he he did it like but it was like sneaky like somebody yes. tried to scoop and it was trier had to like go behind his back with his left hand a little bit and like sneak it in it was a very strange block but i was just like like he's he's kind of and he's not, so people don't yell at me. But remember how like Dwayne Wade used to just block shots? Yeah. But but Dwayne, he wouldn't – obviously, he would do the chase down block thing too. And he was very good at that for a very long time, especially for a guard. But Dwayne Wade also used to do this thing where he would get the ball like on the way up. And right, right, right. That's right. kind of what I'm seeing with Trier. Like someone was going for the scoop on Trier, and Trier was just like, nope. And he just like smacks it out of bounds. And I was like, that's nice. That That's great instincts. Like, and he showed those in college too. Like he had some nice blocks in college. Yes. You can go find some blocks from Trier in college. He did this. And they said it in the preseason. Fizz was saying he had chased down blocks on Kadeem Allen like five or six times. I want to, before we move up, uh, move up the Trier thing, I want to go back to that pod we had in the summer where we first discussed him. And it's, I don't know if it was recorded on the pod or it was when we talked briefly before and that got cut out. But remember that moment where I was just like, you're like, oh, what'd you think about uh, the film you watched today? And I was just like, and I was very confused. I was perplexed. I was like, I don't get how he went undrafted. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I like, still. How is this I, a thing? How is this reality? And I still think about that. And, I, and we've used the word undrafted. We've beaten that horse to death, but. Not enough. We can but, do but more. It, but, but it's, but when I watch him, that's all I think is it's. I'm like, he's he's clearly athletic. He clearly has the offensive touch. And besides that, um, I don't know what kind of defender he's going to end up being, but he clearly has the defensive instincts to do a lot, of, uh, a lot of things nicely defensively. He's got the frame to be a good defender too. So it's just like I'm looking at him, and it, again, it's 13 games now into a very, very long season, and 
a very early part of his career, but um, from summer league to preseason to the first 13 games, he's just been a lot of fun. to. I mean, he was quiet tonight, but he's been a lot of fun to watch as a whole. And I, I truly don't understand how that kid didn't get drafted somewhere or more teams weren't trying to take a look at him, but I'm glad the Knicks made up for missing on him and, and got him uh, basically for nothing. He was an undrafted free agent. So, I mean, that's about as good a situation as you can get. He's a fun bonus. Games like this are bad enough that they lose, but it just makes the game itself. We just can't have that many takeaways because in the second half, the Knicks are losing by so many points at that point that it's like the teams aren't even playing their real basketball. You know, you can tell they're playing, you know, 80, 85%. So I just, games like this make it really hard, especially if you're looking at the box score and you're trying to, you know, go back tomorrow and look at who played well. It just makes it difficult. So this is kind of a game you throw it away. There'll be an OKC on Wednesday, which is going to be a super, super tough game. OKC's been playing much better after a tough start. It's always the Suns. I would, again, encourage all of you, and I always tell this to myself, don't get too high or too low. No reason to have any high expectations for this team. No reason to let yourself get too down about a loss like this. It's awful, and it's a bad loss. This is a bad basketball team that's not going to win a lot of games this year. Don't get it twisted. They got four wins now. They have two against the Hawks, one against the Mavs, and one against the Nets. Three of two of those being two of the worst teams in the league, and the Nets being a middling team in the league. We shouldn't expect this team to be very good. Don't let yourself get too beat up about it. Let's just exactly. keep rolling with the punches. Let's keep looking at the positive signs, and let's see how Fizdo continues to progress these young guys. And keep talking about it because talking to the Knicks is fun. Someone. Someone sent me a reply when I I said uh, when Knox started getting going there after he he um after he did the putback dunk on Bamba and then he hit the three I said you know one nice thing about tonight is him starting to have that confidence after he threw the dunk down you could just see the way he's moving um you, you could just see when a guy starts to get locked in offensively and so I tweeted that and somebody goes oh I feel sorry like I actually really feel sorry for you that you know you have to tweet games like this for a bad team where i mean it, it look at the look at the score basically and i was like you know but we kind of got lost uh, a certain faction of the the fans kind of got lost this summer with the hype and it got a little bit out of control and we me and you were cautiously optimistic about perry since like right before the draft we were talking about this on the pods and we like what they were doing and i think the overall direction is good i i honestly this is the most like calm I felt about the Knicks in a very long time. It doesn't feel like terrible things are happening. It seems like they're just really embracing what's happening right now. Yes. The and, and not to cut you off, but fall. it's also important because there's no expectations this year. So even when they play poorly, we have no reason to get that upset about it. When in the past it was like, oh my God, they traded for Derrick Rose and they signed Courtney Lee. Why are they not playing well? They have veterans on the team. Right. And so we got kind of got lost with... Oh, well, this was after the summer league and every, everybody's pushing on these Kyrie rumors and everybody's pushing the even the and I have a ton of fun with the Durant rumors. Don't get me started. I, I love it. It's very fun. They're the best. It, it, it's it, it, it's something to look forward to. I doubt it's going to happen, but it's it's always fun to joke around about it. But people kind of got lost with, oh, well, I mean, Knox is legit. You know, Mitchell Robinson's the steal of the draft and uh, Isozo looks great. It's like while all those things. We're fun and true in the summer league and then in the preseason. You know, now the the games have started, and I think that's still mostly true, but this is still a bad team. And like you said, it's not an indictment. It's just it's a young, developing team. It's Maybe it's not going to be, you know, a free agent destination yet. Maybe it's not. But if these young guys are going to pan out, even in the midst of, you know, L after L after L, I, I, that's okay. Like that, that's fine for us as long as we can see that there's patience, that they're not trying to force it. Like the Jimmy Butler thing was a good uh, litmus test, you know, to not try to not even be linked, not even picking up the phone to just just disinterest. Like that's that's good. We just want to see patience. So like, yeah, in the summer, try to get a meeting with Kevin Durant, try to get a meeting with whoever you can. And if they say no, they say no. But like I'm at a point now where it's just like I don't have expectations for it going forward because I don't see it ending like tragically bad. Like in years prior, like I don't see us signing a Joakim Noah type deal. <clears throat> you know, I don't see us moving a young piece to try to get an expiring Derrick Rose like we did with Jerry and Grant, who hasn't panned out, but it is what it is. <clears throat> so, like you said, it's just it's not an indictment. 
you guys don't you don't need to be frustrated just keep for me i always just look at individual performances like how how is knox doing individually mitchell doing individually trier doing individually dotson individually you know is, is timmy improving and, and owning uh, earning that contract that he now has is frank you know being more like i just do everybody on this team is a case-by-case basis for how i break it down and i know you kind of look at it the same way you can't look at it from a team success standpoint you just can't it, you're gonna drive yourself mad the entire rest of the year we knew that there shouldn't have been expectation some fans thought this is going to be a 35 or you know 36 win team you know the fizzdale effect and this and that he, coaching can only fix so much a new system can only fix so much and it's not going to get over you know a, a fresh new slate of inexperience and youth so um just just enjoy what the kids are doing. That's the only thing that I can say, and I know I'm kind of echoing your sentiments, but that that's it. There's nothing else to this season. Just enjoy what the kids are doing. Let's just hope they pan out. It looks like they are. Go from there. And let thoughts of Sugar Plums and Zion Williamson dot your dreams for the next several months. Or that's an R.J. Barrett. If or that R.J. Barrett or Cam Reddish or Nasir Little or Romeo Langford. Any of them. Last question I'm going to ask you. So where do you – very, very early, way too soon to be asking you this question. The projected 2019 draft, how confident are you in that being one of the better drafts in recent memory here? I don't know about that, but I think the performance of the Duke guys has people really, really excited. You can notice we haven't even talked about the other guys that I just mentioned because the Duke guys have overshadowed all of them. It's completely possible that the three Duke guys could be the top three picks in the draft, which has never happened. I think the only time there's even been two was when Anthony Davis and Kid Gilchrist were taken back-to-back in 2012. So I think that those three are going to be there. There are still really exciting prospects, but it does drop off a bit towards the end of the lottery. But this stuff also doesn't become clear until much later in the year. For right now, you know, we can enjoy the Duke guys until we know how the Knicks are going to end. It's always strange, right? Because we can project, and I'll say that I think the Knicks are going to be a bottom three to five team, and I feel very strongly in that. But things could change. You know, some other teams could completely, completely bottom out, and the Knicks could end up like kind of last year where they lose 29 games, but then they're still the seventh or eighth worst team. Or so, or they win 29 games. So we're going to see the picture become more clear. The three Duke prospects, and specifically Zion, are going to be talked about all year. And I think Williamson, I don't think there's enough hyperbolic language that can be used to describe him as a prospect. I think he's going to be the best prospect to come out of college in a very long time, probably since Anthony Davis, in terms of the buzz around him. It's going to be exciting to follow, and the Knicks obviously will have a shot at that, and that's fun. But we have to wait so long. We'll just watch clips, and we'll enjoy it, and we'll break it down more as we get later on in the year, and I'll I'll keep an eye on you guys, uh, see what else is out there for us. So before we get out of here, Kyle, anything to plug? Uh, Yep, as always. So obviously make sure you uh, check out thenicksworld.com. I know Reed... Goldsmith, our managing editor and now acting. Capital J Journal, Reed Goldsmith. Yeah, Capital J. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was at the game tonight and he, and he covered it uh, as a media member. So he's got uh, not just the recap, but he had a nice story that uh, I'm going to be reading right after this podcast gets uh, over with here, but about the potential new point guard controversy. So um, we knew Moutier was back in the fold, but now, you know, Burke played better than the two of them and we're kind of right back to square one with who fans are going to want to see or side with or pull for. So there's that. So make sure just always, you guys know the deal. Uh, every day we have a new original feature at the nextworld.com and nobody else does that. So make sure you check that out. Uh, make sure for this podcast, there are a lot more of you now than we had anticipated being at this point in time. And just please, uh, as many of you, it takes just a couple of seconds when you get done with this podcast, just, uh, give us a nice five-star rating. Leave us a nice review. It helps us continue to do this. Uh, we want to do this for you guys for a long time. So you guys leaving those reviews helps us out, helps us you know, get this kind of content out for you guys. So please do that if you can. Um, been a little slow with it, but make sure you subscribe to our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash the next wall, where we're going to do you know the 2K pre or post game shows. We're still trying to make that a more consistent thing. We're not giving up on that. It's just tough to get a new thing off the ground sometimes so uh we'll be doing that more frequently going forward and uh the last thing is go to t public 
dpublic.com and check out the Knicks Wall shop there. And we were a little bit quiet for a while with you guys with the merch, and um, we put out a new line of jerseys. It's got all the nicknames of all the new Knicks rookies and all the young guys that we all love. And, um, you know, we have a nice Ozo shirt, a Fort Knox shirt, and the, you guys actually voted on the uh, Kevin Knox shirt. So, so the Fort Knox shirt, we have Mitchell Labinson, which we're going to have to make a, a Mitchell Blockinson alternate shirt at some point in the near future. Yeah, we, we need them both at this point. It's preposterous how good he is at these things. So, um, so we got those shirts, but uh, we also have all the, all the classics from last year too. I know everybody's forgetting about, uh, you know, our oldest son, Chris Epps Porzingis, and he's still recovering from his ACL injury, but we have the, you know, you up shirts. We have the Chris Timms shirts, uh, depicting him in a pair of Timberland boots. Um, there's just a lot new, a lot of new followers, a lot of new listeners. So make sure you go check that out. Um, obviously I want you to buy stuff, but if you don't, I mean, just at least know what's there. Holiday season's coming up. Maybe you want to give some as a gift to a Knicks fan that, you know, um, just, Keep it in mind. Take a look. We got a lot of good stuff. So that's just tpublic.com and then just search for the Knicks wall. Um, that's about it. My order came in, by the way, and my dad loves a sweatshirt. They're, they're very good quality. It looks I, real I, nice. Yeah, I'm wearing my Knicks wall hoodie right now, and that's not even just a a, a lie that I'm making up. I'm actually in it now, and it's it's very comfortable. Uh, T-Public has a nice, nice quality with the clothing there and the material, so it's, it's very nice. Perfect. All right, so the Knicks are back in action on Wednesday in OKC. And then we'll talk to you guys on Thursday. Yep. Take it easy, guys. Good night. (laughs) 